Amen. You can have a seat. What a good song. This is a special day for us, as you can imagine. Uh, it's good to have family here uh, to celebrate Will's baptism. Yeah, that's that was a lot of fun. It's amazing to think of what God has done for Will, just like what he's done for, for you and me. Uh, also, just want to say thank you in advance to those who... Uh, did they show the picture? Yeah, you might as well put the picture up. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. We got the, most of these guys are here today. Yeah, you recognize Jack on the end there and Will in the orange. He's a little grumpy in that shot, but uh, yeah, I think I can relate to it anyway. I think I've had a picture or two at family pictures like that. But uh, yeah, I just want to thank you in advance also for the uh, baby shower that uh, you're putting on for Rachel after the service too. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, all these guys here, that's, uh, that was six of them. Our boy makes seven, seven under five. So you can imagine our family gatherings are a little chaotic. Uh, one thing I respect about my in-laws is, is, they, is their desire to raise uh, their kids in the faith, to know Jesus. That's, uh, yeah, that's a really a good thing. So we're hoping those little guys, uh, Will included, continue to grow in God's grace and truth, and you know, it's fun to see them also developing their own personalities and um, being their own person. And, and we think about things like, well, what are they going to be when they grow up? Right? It's kind of kind of fun. If you've been a parent, I'm sure you've had that wonder, right? You know, what will they be like? You know, will they will our kids be teachers or farmers or build houses or bankers or the list goes on and on. Uh, as I keep telling Rachel that, uh, and her belly, that I hope our boy hits home runs in the major leagues. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, not terribly confident that that's going to actually happen because genetics is a real thing, but um, it's still fun to wonder and think about what they're going to do. Regardless of one's occupation, though, we know as Christians that we, as believers in Christ, are all called to service in God's kingdom. We're called to be workers of God. And, and as Christians, as Pastor Nick mentioned, we've been commissioned to, to the Great Commission, right? To go make disciples, baptizing them, just like Will this morning, right? And to teach them what Christ has commanded. This is a Christian's job. This is our work. This is our calling. So as we examine 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, we find in 2 Timothy that Paul gives Timothy, his mentee, he gives him a blueprint to some of this work to which we've been called. Uh, Paul tells his Timothy, this is kind of the key phrase this morning, Paul tells Timothy to be diligent, to present himself as a workman approved by God. A worker approved by God. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And, and uh, as you hear a worker approved by God, that should uh, raise the alarm just a little bit. Uh, I hope you recognize that we're headed into uh, some, maybe some dangerous territory. And <laughs> there's a necessary precaution that we need to take when, because there's a seriousness that comes with this statement a worker approved by God. 
I don't mean to be unnecessary, but uh, I felt as though it was important to have a little visual there. Yeah, danger. <laughs> Warning, high voltage, danger. A worker approved by God. We could very easily misunderstand a statement like this. And of course, it's this passage, it's only fitting that Paul says to Timothy in this passage that a workman is to accurately handle or rightly divide the word of truth. And this very much pertains to uh, the law and the gospel. So we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and open up here. You can turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be looking at this theme, what it means to be a worker of God. And as we do so, I hope that you uh, ask these questions. You know, what does a worker of God say? What does a worker of God do? Uh, what is this foundation that God has laid in Christ? And are you actively working to build the family, the house of God? And, and honestly, are you even employed by God? These are questions that we should consider as we read uh, together out of Second Timothy. So let's get to it. Second Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 14 and 18 through 18. All right, it says this. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. And I want to zero in again to verse 15 especially. Again, this is our theme this morning. Let's focus back on it. Hear, the, hear these words again. Do your best to present yourself approved to God as a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Paul's telling his co-worker Timothy, uh, be diligent, do your best, present yourself to God as an approved worker. And uh, this kind of carries the idea, it's, it's, it's as if Paul is saying, Timothy, I want you and your work to remain approved amidst all the difficulty and testing and all the things that challenge you in your faith, I want you to remain approved before God. And, and for you as Christians, the call, again, is the same. Do your best to present yourself to God as an approved worker. So this isn't just for Timothy. This isn't just for pastors or, or church staff or volunteers. All Christians are called to present themselves as good workers for the sake of Christ's kingdom. And uh, that's an important thing. When God's word says to do something, do it. You might remember last week, Ben preached, and, and he was talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in Scripture and uh, how God speaks to us in Scripture. And, and he made a comment about grammar as a tool or a shovel. E Amen, that's right. See, he still stands by it. God can use something as simple as grammar to impart truth to us. Here, in this passage, I, I 
want to draw your attention again to verse 15, the very start of the verse. It says, do your best. Or your translation might say, uh, be diligent or hasten yourself. This is translated from a Greek verb, and that word, the original Greek, is in the imperative mood. Stay with me. I know you aren't expecting a lesson in grammar this morning. But what is the imperative mood? What is an imperative? It's a command. When God says to do something, so do it. As Christians, yes, we're going to get to the gospel, I promise. But as Christians, we don't disregard instruction. We don't disregard the law. And this, the rest of this passage continues with more imperatives, more commands, more instruction for the Christian in his living. It's full of these imperatives that sharpen us and train us and move us to maturity. But how do we do our best work? Notice the emphasis first that Paul places on a worker's words. A worker's words, yes. He, he focuses on some of the things that are being said, both in culture but in response to challenges to the faith. Verse 15, this is, again, another imperative or command for us this morning, says this, but avoid irreverent babble. Avoid it. Why? For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and, and talk spreads like gangrene. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. This is an imperative. Uh, like any job or workplace, you know, the church is full of people, sinners, right? There was clearly an issue at the time with, with the church in Ephesus. Okay, this is where Timothy was the pastor. He was the pastor at Ephesus and and Paul and Timothy had to deal with these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who were causing problems among the people. And this isn't even the first time Paul has written to Timothy to deal with Hymenaeus. See, 1 Timothy, the first letter, uh, chapter 1, 19 and 20, some have rejected and so suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now here in Paul's second letter to Timothy, he's addressing a specific problem regarding Hymenaeus and the things that Hymenaeus was telling the people at the church. Specifically, this issue is about the resurrection. And when we read this passage, we think, okay, they're saying the resurrection has already taken place. Well, isn't that true? Didn't, didn't Jesus die and rise again? So how are these guys spreading false rumors? We might be uh, a little confused by this. On the surface, it appears that what they said is actually true. But Paul doesn't elaborate. We don't know exactly what they were saying, but here's just a couple suggestions that I've come across. Uh, first, there's the possibility that they were simply saying, yes, Jesus has risen, but he hasn't risen bodily. He hasn't risen physically, right? We know from Scripture, of course, uh, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus ate fish. Gospel of John, after his resurrection, Thomas put his hands in the holes in his wrists, right? So we know he, he has physically uh, come, he has physically resurrected. Another possibility is that they may have been saying that uh, Jesus had already returned or come again. 
we don't know for sure what they were saying, but it's possible that that's what they were saying. I, I actually ran into that one out in uh, Fargo. Uh, one day, Rachel and I were walking down the streets of Fargo, and there were these guys standing on the street corner yelling and saying, Jesus has already returned! Jesus has already returned! And I, I looked at Rachel, I said, i got to go talk to them. <laughs> she was like, no. Maybe that's how I knew I was supposed to go to seminary. I don't know. Uh, So the point is, these type of heresies regarding the resurrection still exist, even today. Um, We should note that it is important to know the truth of God's word. We want to know in detail everything that this book has to say to us. However, there are times when fights become unnecessary controversies start over trivial things, things that just aren't that important. And Paul warns us about uh, this kind of empty chatter, these kind of irreverent babblings. Uh, Have you ever dealt with a difficult person at work? (laughs) Pastor Nick says yes all the time. I haven't been here long enough to, to make that comment myself. Yeah. <laughs> Someone who stirs the pot or, or starts rumors or says things that aren't true or is dramatic or just makes your life difficult. You don't oh, want to love this person all the time, do you? Uh, these things happen at church too. Did you hear what so-and-so said or can you believe that so-and-so did that? Uh, earlier, I showed you the picture of our nephews, and they're adorable and, and all, but uh, believe it or not, there's been a fight or two uh, <laughs> over things such as uh, Hot Wheels and toy bulldozers. and um, We laugh, but <laughs> we're not so different, you and I, are we? As Christians, as workers of Christ, our words matter. Our words matter. Don't pick foolish fights. Don't, don't get involved in controversy. Consider whether your words are constructive. Now, while words are an important tool or, uh, for building, we need to be reminded, and as we are from this passage, uh, that the foundation still stands. The foundation stands. We're going to look at the worker's foundation. See verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. It's almost poetic, you know, in in this passage that Paul continues on and he he gives this illustration of a house. as we think about the foundation, what's the most important part of a house? The foundation, right? Without the foundation, the house crumbles down. God's firm foundation stands. As Christians, we cannot become detached from the foundation. The foundation is the thing that keeps us up. Without a solid foundation, we'd only collapse into disillusionment by the rot of our sin. So, what is our foundation? Paul actually tells us very specifically in another letter, 
uh, another letter to the church of Corinth, right? He's, he's writing in chapter 3. He uses another illustration of a house there. In 1 Corinthians 3, he tells us what or really who our foundation is. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. Hear these words and hear them well. Jesus is the firm foundation. The truth of the gospel stands as the bedrock of our hope. It's all about what Christ has done. It's not about what we do, but it's about about what he's done. Christ crucified. That's the message every Sunday for our reason because it's the most important thing. Christ crucified, dead, risen, bodily, right? For the forgiveness of sins, for mercy for each one of us that we would have the hope and the promise of eternal life in him and in him alone. This is good news. And, and, you know, I I mentioned at the beginning the warning to, to... leading up to this message because we got to keep this straight. We do not get to heaven based on our goodness, on our, our, our actions, our, the things that we imagine to be a, a, a life well lived. No, we have hope in Christ and in Christ alone. These must not be confused. Like Paul says again to Timothy, we need to rightly divide the word and truth. Uh, when God says to do something, that is law. But what God has done is gospel. The gospel is what has been done for us. And really, the truth is, when we're honest with ourselves, we, we've all lived in ungodliness. We've all lived a, a life that falls short of the glory of God, Christian workers included, church staff included, pastors included. No Christian has earned their job, so to speak. No one's resume is, is good enough. Everyone has marks against them. We, we've all sinned before a righteous and holy judge. And as a result, no one is, is approved on the basis of their works. No one merits God's favor because we have all sinned against him. But again, the good news, the foundational truth, the foundational hope is the gospel and what Christ has done for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for our ransom. Again, this is foundational. This is essential. This is imperative. This is everything that we hope on. So hear this again. No matter who you are today and what you've done, Christ has paid the price for your sins. Those of you who have received him have received an unshakable foundation. Christ alone is our foundation. Downstairs in my office, you can come visit me if you want. It's okay to do that. There's uh, words to my favorite hymn posted on the door, and I, I just, this hymn just, these words just hit it just right. They express this truth so well. You've probably heard these words, and they're probably deep in your heart as well, but says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean 
on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All that the ground is what? Sinking sand. In Christ alone, this is our foundation. So if you're struggling through the life, whether you're a believer or not, you're struggling through the muddy, sandy sinkhole of your own morality compared to the reality of impending death, I just hope you realize that you are never going to dig your way out of it. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change the reality that you're dying and that you're a sinner. There's only one lifeline. That one lifeline is Christ and his message and what he's done on the cross and his righteousness, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. So if the good news of Christ has found a home in your heart, and and I hope it has, I'm confident that this message, dear Christian, is deep here. I hope you'll further recognize that the content of this message today is not do your best to present yourself a worker approved for your salvation, but rather it's do your best to present yourself a worker approved in response to your salvation. Now listen, the the text also here says the Lord knows who are his and the reality is not everyone has received Christ. Not everyone's a part of, of God's kingdom or, or his, his company, so to speak. Not, not everyone has uh, become a true believer in Christ, yet the job offer or the, the offer of salvation is, is for all. It's free. The stated mission of this church, Emmaus, is helping people say yes to Jesus. If that's you, let's talk about it. Find Pastor Nick. Find someone who will point you to the truth of Scripture. But you see, no matter who you are, Jesus doesn't need your good works. He doesn't need my good works. He doesn't need me to stand up here. He's accomplished it all. His gift is complete. What greater proof is there than the resurrection? I think Luther put it well when he said, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. That helps us understand the role of our our good works. So, believer in Christ, let everyone who names the name of the Lord then depart from iniquity. You have this new life in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, motivated by the gospel. You simply live and do good works in response to what Christ has done. Here are the final verses, some very specific ways, some specific markers of the Christian life. Verse 22 to 26. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the servant and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they will come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You see, a worker's pursuits are in response to the gospel, motivated by what Christ has done first and foremost for us. And we take these things and we, again, we recognize that it is 
Yet not I, but Christ in me. It's the Holy Spirit's working within us. It is God's will that we would flee from these youthful passions, these youthful lusts, these foolish controversies, all these things that mark our old life, and rather pursue the good things of Scripture, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. These are good things. And by his grace, he enables us to do them. Notice also that it says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This Christian life is not meant to be done alone. We are not individual workers, but rather we have co-workers in the kingdom. We work together for the sake of the Great Commission and the gospel. As ambassadors for Christ, workers for Christ, we do this together. And for what purpose? Again, so that God may grant repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. We have this hope in Christ that the world needs to hear. We know that he's the only hope. No one else has conquered death, just Jesus. And so I hope he conquers your sinful heart as well. You see, to be diligent and to present oneself as an approved worker of God isn't done for your merit. It's done in response. And your work is for the sake of others who need to know of the hope that lies within you. See, the reality is there really is a world that is held captive by their sins. They think that they'll be good enough. They don't believe the scriptures. They don't know the hope of our Savior. These are just a few of the snares of the devil. But Christ has won the victory on the cross. Take that with you as you go this morning, that Christ has won the victory on your behalf The only sure hope, the only sure foundation is in Christ alone. All other ground is sinking sand. Christian, you know the solution. Stand on the rock. Christ's righteousness alone, his victory over the sin and grave. This is the message the world needs to hear. Let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, you are a good and merciful God. Lord, we thank you for will. We thank you for the promise of baptism and what it means, the promise of salvation and hope in Christ, the promise of eternal life. Lord, we do pray that Will would grow to love you and cling to you all his days. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the people represented here, the people that you've brought into your kingdom to stand on the foundation of what you have done, Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, all the glory belongs to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the, uh, for the blood. In all things, we give thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.